Live from the Coachella Valley, time for another hour of the desert scene. Art exhibitions to modernism, music festivals to live theater, big screen, little screen, and very little screen. This is the Culture Corner with Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And welcome to the Culture Corner. we got a jam-packed show today with lots of guests. And, Brian, we're starting off with a really fun guest we've had on before. First up, so tell us who we got. We have comedian Shan Carr who, in the house with us to talk about, well, the Academy Awards and uh, the unfortunate news of lesbian bars being in trouble during the pandemic. How are you doing today, Shan? I'm crying myself to sleep over the lesbian bars that are closing. <laughs> uh, hey, Shan, it's Bonnie. How are you? So glad to have you back. Hi there, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back on such a lively topic as the death of lesbian <laughs> culture. So what, I appreciate that. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think is behind it? I'm curious of your thoughts on that. Lesbians have never been able to keep their bars open throughout all of humanity. Every, you know, every town has maybe one that in a lifetime kind of stuck for a chunk of years. And any, any lesbian bar that succeeds is unusual. And uh, gay bars all around are closing at an even faster pace than, you know, mainstream bars. We're losing the mainstream bars to the pandemic as well. So, you know, that whole Internet, it murdered it murdered the social scene in some in some ways. Now, I wanted to ask you about now you said that lesbian bars have always historically been very difficult to maintain open. What do you think about the nostalgia that people have over what they call the golden age of lesbian bars in the 70s and 80s and 60s? Like, do you think that it was a lot more grim and that it had warning signs for the future? I gosh, I really don't even I may not think that deeply. Um, (laughs) I I mean, I loved it. I spent all my days and nights in lesbian bars and gay bars. And as a comedian, you know, we basically had our own kind of green book as gay people of every gay bar. And I would go on tour, you know, based on what that book said was in this city or that city and where I could work or play. And there were always basically one lesbian bar to every 10 men's bars. You know, women are low, lesbians are on a lower income scale, and the desire to, like, get drunk and mate is not as strong in women. Um, (laughs) You know, once you put two nesters in a bar, they're both trying to figure out how to get home. Yeah. And not even necessarily the same house. So lesbians have always been more of a party culture and a festival culture and a potluck culture. And, you know, now with the Internet, the meetups and the groups, Mm-hmm. They started a lesbian called like fun loving single no politics lesbians, which I don't think any of those things all exist in one person. But <laughs> there is a page called that, and suddenly there were ten thousand women on it just weeks later, um, all complaining about not being able to find each other. But they're all on that little page together. So God help us, we're I've, a difficult people. I have a quick question for you. Do you think that? The gay community in general, or lesbians in particular, are a little more cautious. Uh, is there a factor that they're maybe a little more cautious about the virus too, the COVID? Um, uh, again, I don't know that we can say that any people, any subgroup of a subgroup mm-hmm. of a subgroup was more cautious than yeah. any other. We're just as diverse as mm-hmm. any other group of people, really. But um, I think, you know, we're smart, we're thinkers, we're family, you know, we think about nesting and protecting and yeah i think we were as as a group 
interested. You know, in the whole time, I've lived in Palm Springs for 23 years. There has only ever been a lesbian bar for one year of the 23 years that I lived here. That was maybe 10 years ago. Um, And that same bar was a lesbian bar for a few years, 10 years before that. Um, (laughs) And so there has not ever been much of a culture of that here. But the Women's Jazz Festival and the pop-up socials that are monthly, and there's a million, like, meet-up to take a walk in Duluth Park groups and hiking groups, and there's amazing. It's just, it's not the bar. The bar never really worked for lesbians all that well, except for in your 20s. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that, I think point. I think that's the case for a lot of, like, groups where like the bar scene is usually seen as like the younger people scene where they can go off and have like I guess like a a coming of age moment there where it's your first gay bar and you're seeing that Mm -hmm. and you're experiencing that and it's it's a safe space whereas like when you get a little older what were you about to stay home (laughs) (laughs) that's true well you want to remember the person you just met And now there are just so many other options. Even I would say in this town, the LGBTQ Center, the CV, um, now it's CV Center, mm-hmm. um, is a great, I worked with them for over 10 years, and they're a touchstone. They're a great resource, and you can find the lesbians who want to do the thing that you want to do through those sort of connector, community connectors. There's a lot of more reasonable, more effective deeper ways to do that now but we still all want to go have a martini and talk trash about the three queens at the table next to us or whatever <laughs> yeah we just we don't need we can't seem to support our own venue we're happy to crash yours hmm. <laughs> well let's talk about the oscars a little bit oh so. yeah definitely now shan you have you been able to watch every single film at the academy awards this year i know every year you do at least watch most of them if not all of them well, and I could have made it to all of them this year, but I seriously hit overload. There are, uh, there's one best teacher and there's one best actor. There's, I think it's a total of like 40 movies that have been nominated in shorts and all that. And there's about three among them that I haven't seen. And one is because it's the father about Alzheimer's. That's the only best picture. And I'm struggling with that with my mother, and I'm afraid I'll just cry and not come out of my house for two days. Yeah, yeah. It is um, a tragic movie. It, I would. And d- one sorry, still cost. I think it still cost nineteen ninety nine to watch it alone in my house too. The father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? So what's, it's the expensive ones and the terribly tragically sad or difficult couple that I haven't seen. What stands out for you this year? I've seen almost nothing. <laughs> what stands out for you this year as as some of your favorites? You know, what's funny is I'm not a Sasha Baron Cohen fan, mm-hmm. and I didn't love his movie, but I loved Trial of the Chicago yes. 7, and I loved him in it. It was the first time I've ever loved him, because I just don't have enough of a wiener to, like, connect <laughs> with his sensibility. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, my brain cannot get that far out of human decency. <laughs> and I'm a comedian. I mean, I have a low bar for... You know, decency and still considering it funny. But I loved Chicago 7. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, it moved me. I thought it was pretty special. I liked a lot of them. My favorite animated movie, and I haven't heard anybody else say it, but the art in Wolfwalker totally excited me. It was like uh, like watercolor and impressionist and, and different kinds. It was so beautifully drawn and 
Hmm. Um, I thought Soul was gorgeous in the animated category. I always think that one of the animated films should be over in the best picture category, and that almost never happens. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Usually there's like this criticism that the best animated film category was almost created to sort of like put all these animated films in that bucket and say, hey, look, you get an award. Here's your place. Here's your place. Stay there. They didn't want the other movies to have to compete with them. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like Soul, in a lot of ways, I honestly look at the nominees and I'm like, okay, well, you can take out a few of them and put Soul in there. And yeah. I think Soul spoke to a lot of people that the other films may not have been able to. Mm-hmm. And I've met you a lot. You know lo- what I think? I feel bad because I didn't connect with Minari in the way that I wanted to. And I felt like every actor was amazing, right? I loved every performance, but the whole, I don't even know why. I, I Sometimes it's like a first date. You just don't know why there was no magic there because there was nothing wrong with her. Like, you know? <laughs> I, I agree with you on Minari. I think Minari is a is a good movie but I also think that it's one of those movies that's carried by its actors more so than the actual yep. story and I feel feel like in some ways the love that it's getting should have been reserved for a movie called The Joyla Club in 1993 which was also about yeah. immigrants and so yeah. I feel like it's sort of like because like it deals with a similar yeah. idea and we're talking about it it feels like well now let's actually give an award to a movie that is talking about an issue that another movie should have, mm-hmm. you know, deserved a little bit better. You know, yeah. I, I've seen that I a lot. I loved Sound of Metal. I liked Nomadland. I loved Judas and the Black Messiah. I loved One Night in Miami. Um, I loved Promising Young Me too. Woman. That's the best as one. As tragic as it was. And you know, I like to always make weird appetizers that go with the... Because this is my first year not hosting something in like 15 years. Wow. So I was trying so hard to work it out, and it was just too hard to get real human engagement without being in the room with them. But like, <laughs> I've already thought up Reese's Pieces of a Woman and the Mole Agent, and like, I already had all my crazy appetizers <laughs> in mind of how I was going to use the. Uh, I think it's the Oscar not so totally white, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I love that there are multiple female director categories. Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, female directors. There are a number of this year, right? Oh, yeah. We have two of yeah. them. Emerald Fernell for Promising Young Woman and Chloe Zhao for uh, Nomadland. Yeah, and there's a good chance that mm-hmm. Chloe Zhao will win Best Director for Nomadland, considering that that's the favorite one to win. Cool. So what did you think of Promising Young Woman? I always wonder what a dude thinks of that kind of movie. Tell us, Brian. <laughs> I of all the movies nominated, it was the best one. I thought it was not only probably the best movie f- that came out from last year. I thought it so. I it. I really thought it was good and hard to take, obviously. But I love to think of a quote from movies. You know how we love to quote movies. Like it seems like we rarely attribute quotes to new movies anymore. Yeah. And so that movie is the one where the thing that was said probably three times in the movie was at some point a guy would turn around and say to her, um, are you sober? Oh, right. Yeah. Just before she would turn on them yeah. because she had been sober and pretending to be intoxicated so they would take advantage of her. And not just spo- moment. And not to spoil the movie too much, but I feel like the monologue at the end with her interaction, with her confrontation with the I would say the main villain of the movie it that whole monologue I feel like is going to go down it's so good and I feel like women and especially young women in college are going to use that monologue to get auditions because I feel like it really uh, Carrie Mulligan I didn't even think of it that way I'm going to have to rewatch it now because 
if I was my mouth was agape. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I have I now I got to watch that one. I haven't seen any of them, but that the previews of that one have really intrigued me. And yeah. the ending yeah. itself gets a lot of like controversy because some people feel like it's you know it, it's well, satisfying and others don't feel it's satisfying. I guess it's one of those movies where well, bummer for you then. It was satisfying and I, horrible. Me too. I thought so too. It was as horrible as it should have been, and and if something can know, be I both. It was a great year. I thought it was a really great fun interesting heartbreaking there was a zeitgeist you know there were there was one movie with a character that was in two movies i think the racial struggle you know mm-hmm. i'm trying to think who was it um i i know the, you're racial, talk- the, the guy from the black panther um oh yeah. chadwick Boseman. Boseman. well because he was in um, ma rainey Mom, Mom Rainey's back, Black Bottom, yeah. And I've heard oh, yeah. great things about yeah. that. And he's yeah. probably going to win, he's probably going to be another actor that wins after, you know, he passed Post- away. Posthumously. And so sad. Yeah. And well, and that isn't even what I was talking about. I was thinking <laughs> that the character, uh, the real person, Fred Hampton, oh, right, yeah. was both in the movie about Judas and the Black Messiah. He's killed in that movie, and he's also killed in The Trial of the Chicago 7. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right, both of those movies, I thought, had a super interesting... And you're right, the other overlap, too. Well, Shan, you are always fabulous to talk to. We love it. You have such great insight. Well, listen, stay safe, and next year, you'll know you're going to have that big Oscar party. Oh, hell yes, I am. <laughs> We're looking forward to talking to you again. Stay safe. Thank you so much for being with us. We love talking to you. My pleasure. All right, we'll have more in the Culture Corner in just a bit. You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza, talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Here are Bonnie and Brian. On this segment of The Culture Corner, we're going to talk about, ooh, we're going to talk about a scandal that we haven't been able to talk about too much, but now I feel like we're getting to a point where it has sort of reached a an ending of sorts the Mm. scott rudin scandal over on broadway for those of you who don't know scott rudin is a film television and theater producer he has produced the following movies no country for old men lady bird the girl with the dragon tattoo the social network Um, his broadway credits include the book of mormon the revivals for hello dolly and fences and he's produced a A lot lot big career yeah a pretty big career but he's also had the reputation of being one of the most toughest most abusive bosses in the entertainment industry and on april 7 2021 a couple weeks ago he was accused by numerous employees that spoke to the hollywood reporter about a very horrible record a long-standing pattern of these abusive behavior throwing stuff throwing stuff and uh emotional abuse too mm-hmm. and phys- and in one instance smashing an assistant's hand with a computer it is that's oh. no excuse for that i'm sorry that's, <laughs> that's assault really that's assault and one of the things that was interesting it that i feel like I feel like there's sort of this toxicity in our culture regarding bosses. Have you ever been in an industry, since you work in the entertainment industry yourself, Bonnie, have you ever heard someone say, 
that person's tough, but he's good at his job, or that oh, he's just tough, you know, you'll be rewarded yes. if you work with yes, him. Yes, I've know? heard that, yes. And do you ever feel like, oh, I, I feel like in many cases that, that's just horrible, like, I, it's it's just a horrible yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I, frankly, I don't think it's an excuse, because it's a choice. To be abusive and be a jerk and be nasty is a choice that that person makes. And you can always make another choice. There are plenty of people who make the choice not to be abusive and a jerk and who are st- is equally as talented. So I don't, but that's not, that's a cop out. I don't want to hear that excuse. Well, you know, they're really talented, but they're, yeah. I, no, it's a choice. No, I agree with you. I think in many ways, like we put, I think what we do in our society is we, we see like, let's say a tough man, but we don't realize like, no, that's not him just being tough around the edges. Being like, a jerk. That's being a jerk. Yeah. And I feel like they we uplift them way too much. Mm-hmm. And I, in the case of Scott Rudin, because he's produced movies that have won awards and all that, they're sort people want to let him slide. They want to yeah. let him slide. And now that Scott Rudin has actually said that he's going to take a step back from being a producer in film and streaming, and he said that he's also going he and also. He's also going to take a step back from being actively a participant in his Broadway productions because he was going to produce the revival for Oklahoma and Moulin Rouge. Now for Moulin Rouge, Karen Olivio, uh, actress on there, she actually left Moulin Rouge because of him, because of him. And she Mm -hmm. said that for her being, you know, being on a great Broadway show like Moulin Rouge is not as important to her as people's lives. She felt Mm -hmm. that. justice matters more and so even and then later on Hugh Jackman has even said that they're going to try to restructure Oklahoma the music man I mean not Mm. Oklahoma to try to be a little bit more safer a safer environment for the actors because when you have someone like Scott Rudin at the head of it it creates this toxic atmosphere absolutely absolutely and Scott Rudin actually released a statement saying that when uh, saying that he is profoundly sorry for the pain my behavior has caused and I take a step back to commit and grow. And a lot of people don't really believe this is a great apology that th- they feel Doesn't like it's... sound like it. It, it. it feels like for a couple of activists in the Broadway community, and they even went on a march on Broadway, uh, ironically enough, yesterday. Yesterday there was a march on Broadway where they want to go there and they decided to make some demands, which is that Scott Rudin gets removed from a couple committees that he is, that if he's not removed from the committees, at least that they can give some money to the people that he's hurt. And also the idea is also to um, demand equity with Broadway to be able to provide a safer space for uh, trans and non-binary performers and that Mm -hmm. women should be paid the women performers should be paid as much as men mm-hmm. and that there should be a, a more s- space just to be a little bit more thoughtful about it. So mm-hmm. they're using uh, th- they're u- So a lot of these activists who are also actors, they the Scott Rudin event is sort of like this catalyst for a lot more greater discussions about mm-hmm. how actors get treated and two, all that. Two real quick things. Equity. I mean, equity is the stage actors union and they've got rules and I'm surprised they haven't stepped in or made, and maybe they have, I don't know, made some statement because producers and directors are, are subject to the same kinds of rules of not abusing people that actors are and actors are supposed to be protected. The other thing is, you know, I think this. what's interesting about this is it's one more step or building block in the whole what's been happening over the last I don't know three four five years which I think is great is holding 
everyone responsible for their own behavior, whether it is producers being abusive, policemen not following their training and being uh, excessive force, uh, Me Too movement, guys, you know. You know, it's time. And not not all men. Women, too. I, I, don't, I don't care. Men and women. If, if a woman's being abusive, she should be held accountable, too. People are tired of letting people slide on this kind of stuff. Yeah, and especially in the entertainment industry where it's like, you know, maybe we shouldn't normalize these behaviors and we also shouldn't be calling things like the casting couch or yeah. that shouldn't be like an actual thing. It's and, called sexual abuse, uh, rape, uh, you know, hello. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, I'm, I'm glad that Scott Runin's at least taking a step back at least acknowledging it somehow acknowledging somehow but i feel like there's a long way to go to create a much more positive place for actors because yep. just because you're performing on stage doesn't mean that somebody gets to throw something at yeah, you you don't give up your rights as a human being yeah. Right. and coming up next we're gonna have a guest on tyson knight yay stay tuned for the culture corner The curtain rises on local and regional arts and entertainment. From music to theater, films to fine art, it's The Culture Corner. Get connected. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And we're back on the Culture Corner. We're now joined by one of my favorite guests, uh, Tyson Knight, who's a wonderful artist. He has murals all over town and uh, busy, busy guy. Hey, Tyson, how are you? Hey, how you doing, Bonnie? I'm doing well. Good, doing well. good. So I've been reading about you. You've got new stuff everywhere, and I think one of the, one of the places you have some of your works and murals is the new restaurant, uh, Bar Cecil. Is, is that correct? Uh, Cecil, yes. Yes, yeah. Bar Cecil. Cecil, I'm sorry. Cecil. Mm-hmm. Bar Cecil. Yes. And t- tell us about what's with the the art of yours that's there. Do we lose you? Uh-oh. Oh, I think we lost him. Oh, oh I think we lost connection think, here. There you go. <laughs> I think we got uh, you back. Go. Sorry about that. <laughs> so yeah, t- I was actually driving. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Bar Cecile, it's called. And, Cecil. And tell yes. me, and tell us what, what kind of, what, what is your, what's the mural that you have there? Well, they wanted me to actually, um, it was, it's based on Cecil, uh, Cecil Beeston, who mm-hmm. was a, um, an artist over in, in the United Kingdom, UK area. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to do something inspired by his work. So that's was the whole premise of the, um, all the murals there. So, um, I came, came by and we, they wanted me to do like really these kind of like hand prints and, and, uh, these really cool, like little, uh, like shells with these little, really like mythical goddesses on them. So it was really, really cool. Uh-huh. Um, I had a chance to actually um, have all the owners of the restaurant that's opening the restaurant actually trace their hand on the wall and then everybody signed. So oh, that's it's great. Like, it was like really, yeah. So everybody got a chance to be a part of the, um, this, this, this restaurant, which is, they had their opening uh, Tuesday, which is like really amazing. And it's really cool. I mean, it's a really cool restaurant. They have like, um, original Andy Warhol paintings in there, Damien, Damien Hurst, mm-hmm. and, you know, things of that nature. So it's a really, really cool place, yeah. So and I'm now, excited did, about that, to did, be part of that. Did they open this past Tuesday or next Tuesday? I think they had the grand opening this Tuesday, actually. Okay. If I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah, I read that they had it opening this Tuesday, Excellent. yeah. So what what else? I know yeah. you're, <laughs> o- you're always out and about. And, so where, what else are you working on these days? 
Well, you know, I'm still doing my mentoring with my uh, mm-hmm. with with my middle middle school students, but now I've actually taken on um, third, fourth, and fifth graders as well. So now I'm mentoring at the elementary level as well, and we're doing that through Zoom. So that's really uh, that's really cool. But we like to come to an end because it's the summertime. So I think the last class I have with my, all of my students is um, in May. And then we'll pick it up next year to see what that looks like as far as going back to school and things of that nature. So um, tell us how that works, especially with the younger kids, the third, third, fourth, and fifth graders in the Zoom. Tell, tell us ex- exactly how, how you work with them. Well, what we do is it's a little bit different this time because usually when we go into the schools, we have I'll have like a big canvas and we'll all work on it together and just mm-hmm. kind of share stories and, and build these incredible bonds. But since our, since everybody's on Zoom, what I did, what I had to do this time with all my students, I had to create over maybe, I had to physically make about over probably 300 canvases by hand. Small wow. canvases, nine by twelves, and have delivered them to the school, and then the school would deliver those to the, each student. Mm-hmm. So it was a little more work on my end, but I mean, I think it's worth it. Um, so then we'll get on Zoom and we'll just paint together and just kind of uh, sharing creativity and, and uplift each other. And just if anybody have anything they want to share, other artwork or you know, just trying to encourage and just keep that that you know that bond there until we can be back in person to see each other. So I think it's very important that. Uh, we keep that going right. so it's been really it's been some challenges but it's been for the most part it's been rewarding and i think the kids are getting a real benefit from it have you um have you been surprised at all have you are you seeing some kids with maybe some real artistic promise yes yes some of the kids are really really talented and and it's amazing because um, some of the kids they're really talented and a lot of their family members are too some of the kids are showing me something their parents have done a sibling has has done um, really, really, really a lot of really good talent out there. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm just excited that I'm able to help them cultivate that talent mm-hmm. in a sense where um, they can be encouraged to pursue that as a career as, you know, as they get older. So, yeah, so there's some really talented kids out here. They just need someone to um, just kind of give them that, you know, that inspiration and they won't be afraid to, you know, share their creativity with others around. They won't be afraid and, you know, feel ashamed to, express themselves artistically so that's what i really work on the most is to make the children open up and you know just share dialogue amongst each other without feeling judgment right so so uh, before the pandemic hit and hopefully once it's gone so were there particular schools that you were going to are you you trying to hit as many as you can or there's particular schools that you were focused on well through the Palm Springs uh, Unified School District, there was uh, particular middle schools that we were keyed in on. So we're still going to those particular middle schools, just in the uh, Palm Springs Unified School District. But outside of that, one of the uh, schools that I was going to, um, Sea Vista, mm-hmm. CDC, we, um, we implemented the program for the elementary. So that's how the elementary kids, so that's how that kind of, that that extra program was put into place just based off doing um, the middle school kids and then the teachers and, and administration administrators there saw the uh, impact was having on the middle school kids and asked me would I come in and uh, work with the um, the uh, elementary school mm-hmm. kids and uh, yeah so we we still working so I'm still working within those uh, six six to seven middle schools in Palm Springs Unified School District, yes. So do you work, and I can't remember if I've asked you this question before, do you work in all mediums as an artist? I mean, there are a number of, there's, you know, murals and and sculpture and oils and watercolor and, you know, charcoal. Mm. Do you work in every medium? No, you know, I don't work in every single medium, Mm. but I I do dabble dabble in other areas. Um, 
I also do photography. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, photography. Yeah, sometimes I, I don't work with watercolor too much, but I do work with all different mediums like oil, acrylic, spray paint. So I do kind of jump around a little bit. Um, when I was younger, I... Um, I should do a lot of oil paintings, like fine art oil paintings. So mm-hmm. I have a little, I have some of that skills there too. So I kind of lean on that every once in a while if I need to. But yeah, I, I jump through certain mediums, but I've never really gotten to sculptures, sculptures mm-hmm. or anything of that nature. That'd be something fascinating to yeah. maybe one day down the line try out. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about? I know that you were um, had this project where you were dealing working with some homeless folks who turned out to be really amazing artists, and some of them had really uh, their life life experience your lifestyles have changed so what's happening with, with do you keep in touch with those folks yeah i do keep in touch one of my i lost touch with i think they moved out of the area but one particular um homeless uh, homeless man that i was really like really built a really real good bond with was uh scratch so mm-hmm. i see him from time to time um I know it's a couple of programs that we, we we put him in to help him out, but I think he he has more of the he wants wants to kind of do his own thing. But we've been really pushing uh, to get him in some type of uh, affordable housing or something mm-hmm. to just get him off the streets. So uh, he still continues to do his art. Uh, we 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 talk you know occasionally. We see each other. We hang out. Uh, talk, you know, talk about art and things of that mm-hmm. nature. So yeah, he's doing pretty, he's doing pretty well. Yeah. Good. So I wanted to touch a little bit on. I mean, you know, we're a cu- culture, art slash culture show, not not real political. But I just wanted to ask you, um, what your feeling is, because you do so many murals and so many things out in the public, and you mentoring people and you know, homeless folks and kids. Th- what your view is on how healing art can be or what kind of impact art can make in the midst of a lot of social unrest, racial unrest, and a lot of animosity floating around in the world and the country these days. How, how important do you think art is or can be in that? Um, you know, I think here's the thing, like, I, I kind of battle with that a little bit because I think everybody should enjoy art, you know, um, despite what your political beliefs are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes... Um, Politics sometimes it divides. It divides most times. Yeah. So I try to yeah. treat everybody with you know most respect, and I think the way I could uh, make an impact is to I try not to bring a lot of political um, pol- any anything political inside of my artwork, so I can reach more people. Mm-hmm. But I do understand that there are important things that have to be addressed. So if I do address them, I make sure I address them in a way that I don't um, minimize anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, ostracize them from the conversation. Because I believe even if someone has an, an opposite opinion, I think with the right dialogue and the right conversation and the right inspiration, I think that people can always kind of come to some type of agree, agree to disagree, meet somewhere in the middle, and still kind of it won't have to be at each other's throats and, and right. you know, being so divisive and divided. Um, so I... Well, my students, I, I, I tend not to touch on anything too political because mm-hmm. I don't want to alienate anyone. Right. Um, but I think um, the impact that, that, that I think is most important is to make sure we have an open dialogue. Let's discuss the issues, you know, with the George Floyd situation, other situations like that happening. I think it's really important to just hear each other out, even if we mm-hmm. have strong opinions on each side. Yeah, uh, I think it's important to hear each other uh, out because we still have to live in this world together. So, yeah, um, I just believe that I, I think we can have that open dialogue, and I think it's very important to have that open dialogue. But if, if I can reach the more people, I can reach 
with my artwork and my message is the more people I can get to agree to disagree in some way, mm-hmm. respectful each mm-hmm. other, and just hear each other yeah. out. So that's my main focus yeah. on how I try to uh, convey my art. And, yeah. you know, so once, like once the virus is gone, and someday it will be, and we'll be back to some semblance of normal, do you have, what's, on your, what's on your art bucket list? Do you have some big projects that you've always wanted to do that you haven't had a chance to do yet? Yeah, so really before, um, really it's funny because uh, <laughs> when the pandemic hit, I had all these, you know, beautiful um, situations lined up. And um, mm-hmm. I, by, and then for about three months, I had, I didn't have any work at all. Like my, mm-hmm. my uh, income stopped completely. Yeah. So I had, um, I was in talks with doing a, um, a big job in Miami for a hotel there. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, um, we're still in talks, but hopefully uh, once everything lifts, I can still, um, be able to do that. It was a really big job, so that really helped my career tremendously, mm-hmm. and helped me reach more people as well uh, with, with with my mentoring and things of that nature. So that's really what's on my bucket list is to really actually get that big, big contract where mm-hmm. um, I could change my life actually and change other lives as well in in, in the same time. So okay, yeah. <laughs> Brian has a question for you. Now you talk a lot about yeah. how about the importance of reaching more people now in your art Mm -hmm. do you ever think to yourself like okay this art piece is a little too much for me and so do you ever have to adjust your art to a in with the mindset that it has to speak to more people or do you feel like are are you the art type of artist that's like i'm gonna make this for me and whoever can relate to me can enjoy it or interesting because i know you talk a lot about the importance of reaching people so i wanted to know your art process Mm -hmm when it comes to wanting to reach more people? Mm, that's a great question. Okay. So basically when I create, like when I'm just, you know, painting just from my own inspiration, I don't, I don't paint unless something inspires me. So I won't, I don't even pick up a uh, paintbrush or any, any art tools until something inspires me. So I work from, from that perspective. So when I'm creating that actual artwork, I know I'm creating it for a better cause. I'm, I, I, a lot of people tell me a lot that they, they, they feel happy when they see my artwork. So um, that's a great thing because I create off inspiration. Now, on the flip side of that, if I'm doing a uh, some custom artwork for someone, then I will have to cater to more so of what, what the they want. Wants. Yeah. We are yeah. out of time, Tyson. Thank you so much for being here. You are fabulous. What's your website Thank real you. quick? What's your website? But. My website is TysonKnight.com. That's T-Y-S-E-N-K-N-I-D-H-T.com. TysonKnight.com. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you so much. You're fabulous. Thank you. We'll be back with more on the Culture Corner in just a moment. listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Live from the desert cities of Southern California, here's Brian and Bonnie. On March 30th, Sharon Stone released a book, her memoir called The Beauty of Living Twice. I'm going to get that. I'm going to read it. And Sharon Stone is one of those, I'm going to be honest, I love Sharon Stone. I, I think, do too. I think Sharon Stone's one of those actresses that 
you know, she won an Oscar, but I still think she's underrated. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like for me, some of my favorite performances from her are in Casino. Mm -hmm. And for me also, Basic Instinct was a... Well, I don't know if I would say so much it was a great movie. I think it's more of a... I'm going to be honest, maybe more of a very fun movie. It's a very entertaining movie. Almost a cult classic in some ways. But I think her acting was good in that. Oh, yeah, Yeah. certainly. And she definitely deserves all the sort of respect she has gotten for that role where her character in that movie is considered one of the great scream villains. Mm-hmm. The screen villains. I was going to mm-hmm. say scream villains. Villainesses, yes. Villainesses. Yes. And uh, Catherine Turmel. Now, everybody knows that Catherine Turmel in the film Basic Instinct is very famous for being a very seductive, very sexual character. Mm-hmm. It's an mm-hmm. erotic thriller. Mm-hmm. So the movie directed by Paul Verhoeven has been famous for that v- very... Be- I'm not going to say beloved, but very most paused movie scene. Yes, talked about and yes, paused, yes. Paused movie scene where Sharon Stone is being, where Sharon Stone's uh, Catherine is being interrogated by the police and the police are having a hard time, if I remember that scene correctly, interrogating her because she's very sexual and Mm -hmm. she moves her legs. Distracting them, yes. Distracting them. And I wanted to get your thoughts first on that scene. Like when you you saw Basic Instinct, of course. Yes, I did. So what were your thoughts on her character the movie and just overall that scene when you first saw it or and as opposed to rewatches if you rewatch yeah. it um well it was a little i suppose a little shocking at the time although it fit i mean it fit with her character and it fit with the sort of tone of the movie so it wasn't jarring in that sense but it was a little stunning at the time it's very fast little fast moment on screen but yeah, because yeah. like when I was lo- watching it, I I saw it again and I thought I'm gonna rewatch this scene. It goes by so quickly that I yeah. almost feel like people have to consciously look for it. And Absolutely. I, and I feel like at the time when you noticed it, it's because you were shocked and you noticed. Yeah. And maybe the audience that didn't notice were like, wait a minute, there's a nudity in this yeah. film. Yeah. Well, there's nudity in the rest of the movie. Yeah. But right, like, right. Right. But in that scene, mm. and so people have to go back and pause it, and so it became a talked out moment, and talked about moment, and people are parodying it mm-hmm. Sharon Stone has parodied that scene a couple times you yeah. know she did one pretty recently in 2019 with her underwear on yeah. of course yeah. but Sharon Stone talks about it in her memoir and when you get done with the memoir you have to do a review I want to hear your oh, thoughts yeah, on I, that yeah I will and so on her memoir she actually talked about how she felt tricked into doing that scene she said that f- the first time she had heard she had seen learned that her genitals were in that scene was when she first saw um, it with uh, she saw the final version at a screening Mm -hmm. with a room full of agents and lawyers she claims many most of whom had nothing to do with the project she said that when she saw it she was utterly shocked and actually slapped Paul Verhoeven in the face and said that she had to call up her lawyer and the, her lawyer apparently said it wasn't illegal to shoot. Apparently, told her it wasn't legal to shoot up her dress in this fashion. But mm. you know, that's not. There's not much she can do about it. Yeah. yeah. Can, and she had said that, for the most part, the reason the reason why she felt tricked is because what happened was that she had her underwear on during that scene. Mm-hmm. But because the, uh, Paul Verhoeven went up to her and said, "Hey, the light." shining on your underwear is too Mm. reflective you have to take Mm. it off and you have to close up your legs if you wish Mm. and 
and then when she saw that scene she's like she took off her underwear mm-hmm. and she has said that ever since that scene happened she she's been very upset about it and that mm-hmm. it, it was one of those things where she felt like it was she didn't need to be tricked basically mm-hmm. she felt yeah. like oh they tricked me and they could have just asked me right. sort of situation mm-hmm. and but prof Verhoeven has claimed before in empire magazine that you would have to know you have to use a mis- microscope to know what's really happening you know mm-hmm. you, it's it's a scene where it's so quick you don't know mm-hmm. and she said you cannot do that t- type of shot without someone knowing knowing what to do on top of that she gave me her panties as a gesture of confidence according to Paul Verhoeven mm-hmm. so it's a very like he said she, she said, said, said yeah, situation yeah, yeah. but it, to sort of play the advocate for Sharon Stone I will say if that is true that is a very sad situation. That it was pretty tacky that he, he, you know, came up with that so a bogus excuse like that. You know. Yeah, and in and I think in a lot of ways, like Sharon Stone, you know, she has every right to view that scene the way she does. Like mm-hmm. I feel like, no matter how it is, it's very clear that she isn't a big fan of that scene. Yeah. And to be honest, I do kind of blame fans a little bit for that attitude because, I mean, how many immature boys have seen that movie and yeah. probably have told her stuff about it? And yeah, yeah. I and I and I've shown that movie to my parents just sort of to see how they would react to it now and. They thought it was a good movie, but they didn't ogle. My my father didn't even ogle the screen about it. Like it was just like, oh, it's that villain. Like, yeah. And so I feel like we're getting to that point where we can look back at scenes like that and realize, hey, you know, that's a good scene because of her acting, not mm-hmm. because she was nude mm-hmm. or anything like mm-hmm. that. But what are your thoughts on this? Fun? You know, it's it's. Yeah, it's a weird question. I mean, I think, again, I think it it worked for her character in that film because that's the way she was, Catherine Trammell, Trammell or whatever her name was. You know, a villainous but very sexual. So it's, it was something that her character might do. Okay. So it worked in that sense. Um, but, you know, I can understand Sharon Stone being... Uh, upset about it and I think that was a bogus I think Paul Verhoeven should have at least been honest about it um, but you know Paul yeah, I don't know it, it's complicated yeah because Paul Verhoeven afterwards has had sort of a history of his next couple movies were Showgirls, a movie that's infamous for that nudity. That was really trashy. That was a trashy movie. I did see that, and it was. I mean, please. Oh my, my gosh. My brother saw it the other day, and he just said, "Okay, enough. Like yeah, this is. I, a little, it's getting to a point. It's distasteful, you know." And, and I've actually enjoyed Showgirls in the sense that you can laugh at it at how trashy it yeah. is, but and I do admire that it's made with some craft. Yeah. But yeah. After, but after a while, it's like it just. It, the bad acting and yeah. the bad directing just sort of gets to you. And for me, any movie that has the line, I love Doggy Chow in a seductive scene yeah. does not work uh, for me. No, <laughs> no. I mean, you almost felt like you had to take a shower after you got out of that movie. Yeah, it was just kind of, ugh. And yeah. the thing is that it, it just shows up. Uh, Paul Verhoeven has actually talked about in interviews that for him, he views movie, he views sexuality in movies as an insight into the into like persona you know like how we view our society and all that and he doesn't view sexuality as like a big deal which which is sort of like the because he's european so that is a very european sense in describing one thing i can say is i wouldn't want to date him that's (laughs) i can tell you that right Uh, i mean i don't think he has a huge amount of respect for women just my opinion no definitely not but you know what Uh, but at, at, at least 
At least Basic Instincts is it's still a good movie, and you should go definitely buy Sharon I'm going to get her book, I mean, and Sharon I love her. Stone's She's book. fabulous. She's been through a lot in life. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk to Julie Montante, who owns the 420 Bank. It's a great new place in Palm Springs. We'll tell you about it in just a bit. Mm-hmm. 